Hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter, and the return of Simon Clancy uh, after a couple of weeks away. Uh, amazing. He left and the, the Dolphins lose back-to-back games. Simon, what are you doing? I mean, it was my influence, Will, on the uh, Miami Cognoscente that uh, essentially brought them to their knees. <laughs> Ruined the season. <laughs> I, I don't think ruin the season quite yet, but we no, uh, we... We will get into that uh, over the course of the show today. I mean, Ollie's season was ruined a long time ago, so he's good with oh, it yeah. anyway. Yeah, my highlight is, it's, will be and forever will be of this season that and the old, uh, the Rogers, doing the Rogers, getting the Rogers back, the Rogers curse. And now I'm just an, an impartial observer hoping that the Vikings fall on their swords. Uh, so what you're saying is in the NFC, you're all aboard the Brocket ship then. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, my God. I'm here a, we go. A, <laughs> the, worm, Ollie, the worm that has turned this season from Trey Lance. Now now he's got Brock Purdy. He he's got Tom Brady all of a sudden. It's unbelievable listening to the way he's, he's gone on all season. He's, he's a Madden regen, mate. He's absolutely sensational. He's just, uh, you know, Tom Brady was meant to retire. They needed a new late-round pick to come oh in and be sensational. And here he comes. God. God, stop it. Stop talking. No wonder I've been away for two weeks. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, yeah, I don't necessarily actually believe that, but I've seen enough in those necessarily. first I don't necessarily well, think he's the second coming of Tom Brady. No, obviously I don't think he's the second coming of Tom Brady. We'll never see someone else do that in our lifetime. I think we all know that. We're not idiots. But... I do, you know, I it's stunned and impressed with what has happened there in San Francisco. And we're going to talk a bit more about that team when we preview Thursday night football coming up against the Seattle Seahawks. But let's start off with a little look back at week 14. What Give me a takeaway, what you saw from this weekend, something that caught your eye in particular. Simon Clancy will come to you first, something that you wanted to get into. Uh, just a couple of teams, really. And I, I always look out at this time of the year for teams that are getting hot. And I know we're going to talk about the Bengals, and certainly the Bengals are one of those teams. The other team is the Detroit Lions, who have been five and one, have gone five and one since they lost to the Miami Dolphins. Just put that in there. Um, and are playing, I mean, you could make a, a fairly solid argument that they might be the fourth best team currently in the NFC in terms of the way they're playing. The defense has got significantly better. Jared Goff is playing really well. Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, who I talked about in the magazine as a potential head coaching candidate, is just calling masterful game after masterful game, and everything's clicking. Uh, so, you know, they've they've got a tough out. It's a tough game this weekend against the Jets, but you know, I, I think that you know it would have been it would have been a wise and brave man who would have picked the Detroit Lions to go to to make the playoffs this year. But I think one of us did. I didn't hear you repeat it when they were one and five or one and six, though. You like, I, didn't, really I didn't hear you, you still on that trade at that point. You weren't reading my messages. <laughs> um, but no, I just think, you know, it's, it's good for football that the Lions, it's exciting that the Lions are a good team. A lot of young talent turning it around, a head coach we can kind of get behind because he sort of feels like a bit of a man of the people. And, you know, everybody sort of fell in love, is the wrong word, but enjoyed their time on um, on hard knocks. And, and it's good to see good things happening to, to decent football coaches. And they're playing really well. And if you're looking at the Detroit Lions now with four games to go, thinking we need to beat the Lions to get into the playoffs, might have a shock for you, Robert Salah, coming up this weekend. So there's, um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see. And there, there is rightly a lot of love for Ben Johnson there and for what they've done with the offense. And actually, I love that Jameson Williams came in and had a, basically an instant impact. He was active last week, but properly his first start in the NFL, gets that long touchdown. 
the question for you, Ollie Hunter, is how much is this Ben Johnson and how much has Jared Goff, despite the fact he's playing for a team who might have two top 12, top 15 picks, playing himself into a starting job there longer term? It's really interesting, isn't it? I'm not sure he's going to get maybe a starting job there, but maybe somewhere else, <laughs> um, maybe somewhere else in the NFC North, Minnesota, perhaps moving on from Kirk Cousins, who hasn't been great this season. He was okay yesterday, um, but he hasn't been great. I think when you've got such a collection of offensive weapons, I mean, the three running backs in uh, DeAndre Swift, in Jamal Williams has got a bucket loads of touchdowns and, um, and, Justin Jackson even coming in from the Chargers. And then the wide receiving group is just ridiculous, isn't it? They haven't even missed TJ Hawkinson leaving for Minnesota, who, by the way, had two or three, uh, two pretty bad drops um, when hoping to move the chains for the Vikings yesterday. But you've got DJ Chark coming back off of injury. Amon Rasant Brown looks great. Josh Reynolds, Jamison Williams. There's others as well. Penny Sewell even as a, as a, as a wide receiver. But when you're doing really interesting things on offense, that can then bleed into defense. The defense has played a little bit better despite having a, a terrible start to the season. And then on special teams as well, the the going for the fake punt in your own 27 at four and seven in the third quarter is ridiculous, but they did it. It came off 40 something yards. Bosh. I mean, they're such a fun team to watch right now. At the same time, the Vikings, I mean, they played off coverage for almost this entire game, despite them being the worst off coverage team in the NFL by a country mile. If you look at the stats, the defense, we talked a lot about how they were kind of, yeah, they were a, a 10 and 2, 10 and 3 team who not a lot of people were particularly high on, despite them winning 10 games this season. And I feel like that defense is really starting to show up the kind of lack of talent on the back end, some of the younger players being exploited. And actually, yeah, I'm going to fall a little short of calling the Vikings frauds, but uh, I'm basically saying the Vikings are frauds. I think they are the ultimate sheep in wolves' clothing in the NFL this year. I mean, Negative point differential. I, I just don't think they're a very good team. I don't think their offense is particularly functional. I don't think they're running the ball very well. They're obviously miss, missing Christian Darashaw. Uh, they're kind of being kept alive because Justin Jefferson's just an absolute freak. Um, you know, him and Tyreek Hill chasing 2,000 yards, uh, receiving it. I, did, I mean, Justin Jefferson had the most low key 200 plus yard receiving game yeah. that I've seen in, in, in a long time. So. Uh, just going back to Jared Goff, it's really interesting, actually, because people talk about how Ben Johnson's maximized Jared Goff's skill set this year. It's a big question for Detroit, because if Ben Johnson does leave, are you going to get the Jared Goff that we saw under, you know, Sean McVay? And uh, uh, is it going to be that Jared Goff? Um, or are you going to continue with the with the Ben Johnson Jared Goff? It's, it's a fascinating internal decision, I think, for Brad Holmes and for, for Dan Campbell. Because of the draft picks, because of the quarterbacks that are in this class, whether or not they actually do decide to take a quarterback high, especially if Johnson leaves, because you do feel like there's a little bit of a conundrum if he does leave, and you you know you're not quite working with the same guy who's helped you max out your talent that that clearly Johnson has done with Goth over the last six eight weeks. I want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. I know that's a team we talked about a lot this year, but specifically. The fact that they put up 48 points this week off the back of 35 and 40 point gains prior to that. I think a lot of us had spent the entire year talking about how positive we were uh, about uh, about their 
improvements this year. And and the question I kind of want to ask you guys is, is in a weekend where you've got Josh Allen, Josh Allen kind of still struggling with that elbow injury, absolutely getting battered about the field by the Jets. When you've got Patrick Mahomes throwing three interceptions, admittedly in a win, but still not hugely an impressive performance. And then you've got Jalen Hurts putting up an average of 43 points a game the last three weeks and throwing just absolute dimes left, right and centre. Running another 77 yards for seven carries with his legs as well this weekend. Like... I genuinely, I think like we always talk about that Josh Allen season on season improvement and how phenomenal it was and how not many quarterbacks can ever expect to do that. I think Jalen Hurts has done the same, if not more, over the last 12 months. Simon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I thought you were going to go to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think the, the way that they're playing and you look at the units that they have, what they're doing with Hurts, first of all, I think having him behind an offensive line where he's given an inordinate amount of time. It, to, to, to play and that's not a criticism but I think that just helps him with reads I think the coaching staff is just doing a phenomenal job and Nick Sirianni I think is now the most winning coach over thir- the first 30 games in, in Eagles history but you, you look at that coaching staff in terms of you know Brian Johnson quarterback coach will probably be an offensive coordinator and maybe even a head coach Shane Steichen head coach and candidate absolutely in you know he'll be one of the first cabs off the rank Jonathan Gannon the defensive coordinator absolutely the job that Tracy Rock has done as a defensive line coach is fantastic Jeremiah Washburn uh, the the outside linebacker edge uh, guy will be a defensive coordinator I mean just a phenomenal job they, and unit wise you know running backs playing brilliantly quarterback playing superbly best offensive line in the league receivers playing brilliantly Tight ends playing really well. Defensive line playing brilliant. And Brandon Graham's having a career season. And this is his, what, 13th year in the league? Best secondary in the NFL. Really strong kicking game. So, you know, everything's clicking for the Eagles at the moment. I, I just can't see a team in the NFC that will get close to them, especially in the playoffs, especially at home. I just think things would have to go seriously wrong for the Eagles not to... not to make the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, I think Dallas are strong. I think the 49ers are strong. But I just think... Philly is just too good in too many facets of the game. I, I can't see, Ollie, how Jalen Hurts hasn't wormed his way into the favourites for the MVP. Well, played his way into the favourite for the MVP. I think he's responsible already for... I, I had the exact stats in front of me and now I've lost it. But between his passing touchdowns and his rushing touchdowns, he's been responsible for 32 touchdowns total already this season. Had just the six turnovers. And he is, you know, as much as... AJ Brown's brilliant and Devon Smith's brilliant and the running game's working and the line's working. It goes through him and his, how good he is under pressure. A couple of the throws with pressure right in his face this weekend were just ridiculous. He, he, the game slowed down for him massively, hasn't it? Over the last year, we saw it with Josh Allen um, from one year to the next that the game slowed down. And then we saw what kind of player Josh Allen is. Maybe he's slightly regressed uh, this season, but because of that injury, but it, for Jalen Hurts, it's, it's kind of been mirrored, but he's got even more of a threat with his legs. And with that threat with his legs, that allows everything else to be a threat. So, Mark Sanders in the, in the running game and then every everything in, to do with that passing game. And he can make the throws. I think Patrick Mahomes had three interceptions this uh, weekend. So, the way that Hurts is playing, is it five takeaways and that's it all season? It's ridiculous. You you have to say that it's a, a definitely a two a two horse race for that MVP. And yeah, I reckon that Hurts is 
is moving ahead. Yeah, I think he's the most. I think I think he's the, uh, the MVP as we stand now. Dan Orlovsky called him the most improved passer he's ever seen in his entire life, and I don't think that's wrong. I think the Eagles are due an awful lot of credit as well for the position that they've put him in to help mm-hmm. him succeed. Um, and I think it should be the blueprint moving forwards for what teams do with young quarterbacks because you know I think Nick Sirianni. Uh, doesn't get an awful lot of credit, actually, uh, and I, I think he should because I think he's been absolutely, uh, you know, similar in terms of helping to turn around his career. The guy seems like a great guy off the field in terms of Hurts. He's been delivering with his arm, but then his ability to escape the pocket, to see and feel pressure, and then use his legs to pick up chunk yards just makes him, you know, almost impossible to cover. Oh, and then you've got, you know, Quez Watkins and... AJ Brown and and uh, and Smith and Miles Sanders and, and you know all those weapons. I just think it's that they are just absolutely perfectly positioned to 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 be the NFC representative in Arizona until they chip over against Brock Purdy in uh, in, uh, in first week of, last weekend of January. Of course, <laughs> I just I do it now just to upset Simon. It really it doesn't it's, upset me well at all. It his little face. I'm doing exactly the same, mate. Uh, Ollie Hunter, before we get on to uh, the, the uh, aforementioned Borough conversation, anything you wanted to pick out from this weekend? Yeah, I think when you look at some of the scores and some of the, the big teams, um, the teams that you think are going to be there or thereabouts, like Kansas City, Baltimore, well, Baltimore, if they can get a, catch a break with the quarterback situation, but the Bills with with Dallas as well, all three of those teams struggled against other teams that you expect they expect to win against. So KC going up big against Denver and then allowing Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson of all people and that offense, Nathaniel Hackett's offense to come back at them. Uh, did you see Russell's um, concussion? The He's way he went down on the side of his head. Nasty. Jeez, that looked horrible. That looks, that looks really nasty, but, um, but they're doing enough to get over a little, I mean, does Patrick Mahomes have any kind of slump ever? But you get they're doing enough to get over a little slump. Dallas Cowboys the same. They should have been beaten in that Houston game. They the, should the, have the, absolutely lost to one of the worst football teams I think I've ever seen put on a season. Yeah. And they were they were not just beaten but beaten well for a lot of that game. I, it was, dis, I was genuinely sad when Houston didn't win that game of football. <laughs> so was I because they they had they they had a lot of spunk for want for a better word the the Texans for something that we haven't really seen throughout the whole season and in this Texas derby um, they really showed up. To have first and goal though inside the you know after yeah. the exception and not not salt the game away and then you know lose that that was just and that's the sort of thing where if you're ownership of the Texans you would look at everything that happened up to that point and think you know what this team hasn't given up for Lovey Smith they're still playing hard for him and then the last whatever it was two and a half minutes of the game would almost certainly just make you think we just can't do this again we've just got to. I mean, I don't know what the answer is in Houston, and I'm certain the answer isn't keep flipping from coach to coach to coach to coach to coach. But you know, it's that was about as bad as it gets. Right, uh, we are going to turn our attention forward to uh, some stonking games in the upcoming week uh, to to continue the conversation. The only other team I'd mention as being a team, as Ollie put it, with spunk, uh, is a mention for the Carolina Panthers, who are within a game now of the top 
of the division and having gone four and four under Steve Wilkes in pretty impressive fashion, doing it whilst trading away some of their best players, you know, three of their remaining four games with the Steelers, Bucks and Saints, and they definitely can win the NFC South from here. Uh, one of the only teams to have ever won a, a division with a losing record, of course, previously, uh, Carolina. And I just think Steve Wilkes has probably played himself into that job next year. But the, one of the reasons that they're in that situation is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just can't get out of their own way. Hammered by the 49ers this past weekend. Uh, and this weekend coming, they're going up against the properly resurgent Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, who, we, you know, as a collective, we have to hold our hands up and say going into the season, we didn't believe in this coaching staff. We didn't believe in this team. We didn't believe in this offensive line. We kind of forgot that if there is another player that's in the MVP conversation beyond Hertz and Mahomes, based on the performances he's put up in this kind of seven wins in eight streak, it's Joe Burrow. He's been unbelievable, Simon. Uh, yeah, I actually, I, I disagree with your analysis there about us not thinking. I, I mean, I think we all thought they were going to be good. I just think that we just thought the Ravens would be the team that won the division. I don't think there was any that was any knock on on the Bengals. <laughs> I think there was an element to it as well as we could, we didn't believe that the Ravens injury luck that's been so poor for four years could still be that bad this year, mm. and it's still been that bad again this year. Yeah, absolutely. But then you know you look at how the Bengals have got to finish the season. You know, Buccaneers, Patriots, Bills, Ravens. It, you know, is a pretty tough out in terms of whereas you look at you know the Ravens schedule, which is. Browns, Falcons, Steelers, Bengals, you know, that's, you would say that, the, you know, as good as the Bengals have been, and they have been, you'd still favour the Ravens to win the division. I mean, I always look for teams at this time of the year, and I mentioned it about Detroit, but, you know, the, the team that's starting to get hot around this time of the year, and that's absolutely the Bengals. They're playing brilliant football. Joe Burrow is just, a, you know, an elite quarterback already. I think the most important thing is the offensive line has finally started to gel together. He's not getting sacked nearly as much. I think there's now 897 consecutive snaps where the same five guys have played up front. You're obviously getting Jamar Chase back. You're obviously getting uh, Joe Mixon back. Defense is playing well. I, I think it's great for them that Trey Hendrickson doesn't go onto injured reserve with a broken wrist because he and Sam Hubbard have been very important in terms of getting pressure. I'm still not a you know a Zach Taylor fan, but um, now that you know as, for as long as Michael Bidwell retains Cliff Kingsbury, he won't be the worst coach in the NFL because um, that, that's patently Cliff Kingsbury. But uh, look, nobody if they you know. If you end up playing the Bengals in the first round of the playoffs, nobody's going to want that. You know, it, it, you'd feel like you fancy yourself if you end up with the Jets or if the Patriots snuck in or whatever. But yeah, you got Joe Burrow coming to town. That is big problems for anybody. Joey Franchise, as the local radio <laughs> radio announcer calls is, him. Is, what's worse, Joey Franchise or Matty the, Ice? Or, or Matty Ice is pretty bad. I hate, I hate Danny Dimes as well. Oh, Danny so Dimes. That's the worst. That, is <laughs> that the makes worst. me feel sick. I was going to say, what about the Chiefs uh, announcer who calls Patrick Mahomes Batman? Yeah, like, just no relevance to Patrick Mahomes whatsoever. Yeah, I don't, I, Danny Dimes is worse. Yeah, Danny Dimes is definitely worse. And, uh, actually, uh, Nat Coombs' obsession with referring to him solely as Danny Dimes makes me want to crawl inside the radio and kill someone. <laughs> I, I, I hope him and not me. That's, I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> Wouldn't be you, really. Just making sure. Just want to make sure. It's definitely Ollie Thornton, that's what. So we talk about the NFL, but have you ever experienced the NFL in its natural state, live and in person? 
in America, surrounded by tens of thousands of screaming partisan fans after spending hours beforehand in the car park outside the stadium enjoying a cold beer, maybe one or two, as the smell of barbecue and tailgate food wafts deliciously through the air. If not, or if you have, and you fancy doing it again, well, Touchdown Trips folks are the experts in creating amazing travel packages for your favorite NFL team. And when we say amazing, we mean it. The guys and the girls at Touchdown Trips put fans first and are passionate. The fans who book with them get a proper, unforgettable, and more importantly, a unique NFL experience. You don't just get tickets, but an authentic pre-game tailgate with local fans. College fan? You want to go to a college game? Stadium tour? Why not? As well as all that, they include flights from across the UK. They've got fantastic hotels and anything else you may want to add, such as an NBA game or an NHL game or a local excursion to create truly bespoke packages that are more importantly, at all protected and ABTA bonded. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season or next and just want to get in touch, give the team at Touchdown Trips a shout today at touchdowntrips.com. Check them out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash touchdown trips or Twitter at touchdown trips. Touchdown Trips, you have to see it to believe it. As much as the you you are right about everything you said there, and look, I think it was really impressive this weekend after they took a, a while to get going on offense, after they end up losing the their second and third wide receivers, who, as we know, as a trio, are so good, uh, both to injury early on in this game. They've got Trent and Irwin and Trent Taylor that they're throwing passes to. You know, that, all of that is incredibly impressive. I watching them actually deep down watching the last few games. I'm not sure the O-line has improved that much. I just think Joe Burrow has just raised his game an extra step. And it's just, I think his decision-making year on year appears to improve, have improved. And also his pocket presence to an extent where he's not taking silly hits where he doesn't need to take them, throwing the ball away at the right times as well, getting the ball out a bit quicker. And coaching an O-line does come into that. And I'm not saying they're as bad as they were last year, but I'm also not ready to call them a, you know, Top half of the NFL unit, or anything. Yeah, but look, listen, what he's what um, Burrow's done really well is the constant changing of the weapons that have been around him. So Jamar Chase had a, a period out injured over the course of the season. He's just come back and he ends up getting targeted fifteen times, catching it eleven times for over over a hundred yards. But that's because T. Higgins has now gone out. Tyler Boyd picked up an injury. Um, Joe Mixon's had time away. He's there using Sammy J. P. Ryan in, in both the running and the passing game before Mixon came back this week. So he's utilizing what he's got really, really well. He's not moaning about it like some other quarterbacks, especially up in the NFC North. Um, so I, I've been really impressed with the way that he has got on with it. He's not moaned about getting smacked too many times, not moaned about not having all of his weapons all the time and he's coped with it and he's coming out the other side. It's really impressive. On the other side of the ball this weekend, Tom Brady back-to-back performances where it's looked rough for him. And I have to say for Tom Brady, for a guy who's not always been the most likable man in the NFL is considered one of the most ludicrously competitive human beings. And that's why he's been so successful. I, I I'm enjoying that. He's kind of on this retirement tour. And I don't know if anyone saw the kind of post game stuff from the 49ers but he took like a good 
10, 15 minutes walking around, talking to different players, chatting to Brock Purdy, chatting to George Kittle, chatting to some of the offensive and defensive linemen and kind of like going and talking to them about their games and congratulating them and, you know, like taking photos with them and signing a ball for them and stuff. Dre Greenlaw intercepted him. Dre Greenlaw took the ball that he picked off of Tom Brady to Tom Brady <laughs> and got Tom Brady to sign it. And Tom Brady was quite nice about it. Maybe the fact, maybe he has lost his edge a little bit and maybe that's why he's not necessarily playing at the highest level he has been. And it's a very good defense for him to have to go up against that 49ers defense. But there were just two or three throws that were really off on Sunday. As much as the 49ers defense didn't give him a lot, the accuracy, like we were talking about on WhatsApp, Simon, like there has been a noticeable tail off this year. Yeah, I think mate, he's 45 years old. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> he's allowed a tail off. Not, he's, it, he's playing like 10 years it, beyond where most people are good. It, it's not a shock. It's like one of... Well, it's, I suppose it's me because I'm the closest to his age, but it's like rocking up at five aside and thinking, or six aside or whatever, and thinking the brain still knows what to do, but the body just won't allow you to do it. Do you know what I mean? And that's... Um, and, and I think there's got to be an element of that no matter how in shape you are, no matter how much of Alex Guerrero you you choose to ingest in, in your personal life. Um, but I, I mean, I don't think he's being helped. He's not being helped by the run game. Uh, he's not been helped by the offensive line, which is an absolute car crash. And, you know, um, certainly Donovan Smith at left tackle is having a, a horrific season. Um, doesn't help with the injuries that they had up front, the retirement of Ali Marpet. The receivers aren't really helping. Julio Jones is... You know, he's like AJ Green watching AJ Green last night. They're, they're just shadows of the former cell. You just think, glad you're just mailing it in now. You just, you know, Mike Evans has had an up and down season. Chris Godwin has never really looked healthy. It feels like K. Dotton is his sort of most reliable target. I just, to me, people talking about what would he do next season? Where would he go? Would he go to the Jets? Would he go to the 49ers? Would he just like, I, I feel like he should just can it. I, you know, it's not affecting his legacy, but, and it, I have mixed feelings about people got players going up and you know I saw Juwan Jennings going up and asking if he could sign his jump his game shirt and I don't know that's kind of cool it's like watching I don't know if you saw it but what was the game in the World Cup oh Australia players after they not lost in the round of 16 to Argentina just queuing up in the tunnel up to get their photo taken with Messi and I totally get it and I'd be exactly the same but it just I don't know. It just it just looks weird. Yeah, do, do, do you know what's funny? It's like I think it's, it's weird for Brady as much. It is, as yeah, it is. It is odd them doing that. But at the same time, like my favorite story from the like when Poland played Argentina is did you see that Emmy Martinez went out and met up with Matty Cash on the pitch like after they'd all gone down, done the team talks, had their shower and everything, and Emmy Martinez came back out with Messi's game-worn shirt oh, and gave it to, and Cash, gave yeah. it to Matty Cash. And I'm like, you, you've got away with one there because you've not had to ask Messi. You've not had to go groveling or anything. Your <laughs> mate's done it for you. So you end up looking cool. It's a great story, yeah. but without you having to look like an absolute dork. And yeah. there was part of it where I was watching it going, come on, guys, this is a little bit. Like, George Kittle said it in his pre-game interviews. Like, oh, I've never played against Tom Brady before. I know he's a Niners fan. It'd be, be nice to actually meet him. And he's, when they kind of met on the field afterwards, Brady was like really a few in his praise for Kittle about how great he is and everything and George was like it's great to finally meet you and yeah. I was just like it does feel Kittle, like you got the impression that Kittle wanted to stay there for a bit longer but just thought it was going to be ultra cheese <laughs> if he did especially as half his teammates had stood there with their like pants out asking Tom Brady to find their butt cheeks <laughs> he is one of the cheesiest men around as well so if he's realising that that might be a bit cheese then maybe everyone else needs to figure out but I, I, from a Brady perspective I thought it was cool that's all yeah um, it's cool that he does it it's it's really cool that he does it. It just must be a bit weird for him. 
Yeah, I imagine that the colleagues and opponents and yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's, uh, let's. I, I think we've probably all fancy Burrow to beat Brady this weekend. What about Saturday night where, I mean, I think rightly so frustration from Simon Clancy about the fact that this game gets moved to, from Sunday to Saturday at such short notice, uh, particularly having to travel all the way up to Buffalo, which is your longest kind of divisional uh, journey. But it's not coming off the back of those two tough losses on the West Coast on top of that. How are you kind of feeling Dolphins-wise right now going into Dolphins-Bills? Yeah, it's difficult. Uh, and and to, to your first point, obviously landing back in, in Miami at you know 8 o'clock on Monday morning, knowing that we've then got to fly to Buffalo on Friday night. So you've essentially got three and a half days to put a game plan together for your biggest game of the season. Is You know, it's hard, especially when it could have been flexed into the Sunday night window. For what is essentially uh, an AFC East defining game, you know the Dolphins win; they're back in it with three games to go in terms of winning the division. Realistically, the NFC East, it, the Eagles are going to win that division. So the Cowboys and Giants are really playing for second place, which is the game that got flexed in. In terms of the Dolphins, look, I, it does feel a little bit like uh, teams are. This is what happens with new head coaches. Teams have figured out Mike McDaniel a little bit, and I think the way that I was most disappointed on Sunday night was that what the 49ers did with the Dolphins defensively was that they dropped their very athletic linebackers, Dre Greenlaw, uh, Al Shaheer and, and Fred Warner into that sort of 18 to 22 yard area where Tua has absolutely thrived all season, forcing him to try and force the ball into that area, which was unsuccessful. Now, I would have thought that um, Mike McDaniel looks at that and thinks, well, you know, Chargers have got very athletic linebackers, Drew Tranquil, Kenneth Murray. They're probably going to do exactly the same. They're not going to drop them 10 yards. They're going to ask them to go back another five or six. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to absolutely kill the underneath. We're just going to run crosses and drags and screens and all those sorts of things all day, force those linebackers to step up and then kill them over the top again, doing what we've done all season. And, and McDaniel didn't do that at all. He, he he literally took Einstein's kind of, the, the definition of madness is just a com- completely continue to do the same stupid thing that you're doing over and over again. That's pretty much how Einstein said it, but you get my point, right? Uh, And that's what the Dolphins did, and they just kept trying to force the ball into that 18 to 22-yard area, which just seemed completely unrealistic, especially when the Chargers were playing two-man, cover two, cover six, to, to... to cover that off. They were changing um, they're changing defensive alignments at the snap, which confused Tua. And, you know, there were guys open, but there was just this necessity to try and force the ball into the middle of the field and to force it to Tyreek Hill. You know, the, Tyreek Hill had 10 targets in the game. The rest of the entire offense in terms of ball, people who could have caught the ball, Moster, Ahmed, Jeff Wilson, the three tight ends, Connor, Gesicki, Smythe, uh, and then Waddle, Wilson, Freddie Swain, Trent Sherfield. So what's that? Nine other players only got 14 targets in total. And you just think there is a there's a real sort of need, it feels like, to continue to try and feed Tyreek Hill. When actually the whole point of having Waddle and Hill is, yes, they're great. But also what they should be doing is they're drawing double coverage. They're drawing safeties over the top. So that means that, you know, maybe your third receiver, or your second tight end is on a, you know, a seventh defensive back or a fifth linebacker. And, and that's a matchup you, you can win. Um, so I think it was very disappointing. And look, I don't expect the Dolphins to win this weekend either. Um, the concerning thing is now that Tua is 0-4 in big games in December and January against teams with winning records. And it's great to be 8-3 or 8-5 and at this point. But if you're 8-3 and going into the final six games and lose the other six games, 
then congratulations on winning the Autumn Super Bowl, but you're not getting the playoffs. And, and, and I think that's a concern. You are looking for a guy who's had a great season, but you're looking for a guy to put the team on his shoulders at this point. And my concern with him against Buffalo uh, two years ago, where he went in and threw three picks and was dreadful. My concern against Tennessee last year in the, you know, when he had a chance to win the game and you're in the playoffs, they lost 34-3 and he was absolutely awful. And then these two games on the West Coast is that he's played small and what you need for him is to play like a giant. And he's not shown that he can do that in critical December, January games. And that's what the you know, the alphas of the league are doing. The Mahomeses, the Allens, the Burrows, the Herberts, these guys, that's what they're doing. And and he hasn't consistently shown that he can do that. And that would be a concern for me because you're starting to now find some of those question marks that were at the start of the season are just beginning to filter back in. Massive game on Sunday, massive game on Christmas night at home against the Packers, and then two huge in-division games against the, uh, against the Patriots on the road and the Jets at home. And I think, you know... <sighs> For a team that was eight and three, and if we'd have beaten the 49ers, we would be the one seed in the AFC to all of a sudden think, you know, if we lose on Sunday and the Chargers and the Jets win, the Dolphins are out of the playoffs as it stands with three games to go, and that's massive. We saw on the in the game against the 49ers where Mike McDaniel was saying to Tua and some of the other guys in the offense, it's on me. You can lip read it. it was, it's on me. It's on me. Um, <laughs> I think what he might have said is I'm up, but. Uh... Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is he? Did he do that again um, against the Chargers? Had what? What did he say, Simon, about not going away from that game plan? Yeah, and we're, we're not running the ball. We're not. It's it's very strange. It's almost like so he's become it, so arrogant to, uh, to the to the fact that I'm just going to stick with my my game plan as it is, Ola, and he's just like not doing it. Yeah. And I love McDaniel, and Will knows I love McDaniel, but. He's got to prove now that he's more than a great interview, that he's more than a great soundbite guy, and that he's more than a guy that can do half a season of great offense. Now he's got to pivot, Ollie, and I think that's the critical thing. Yeah, and you'd hope from a Dolphins' point of view that two losses out on the way, out in the West um, will will do that. But it, he didn't go away from that game plan. It just screams of uh, a lack of inexperience for me, and and hopefully he's gained that experience now from a Dolphins' point of view. But. Uh, yeah, it, I, I I worry for two are up against that that Bills defense. Did you see uh, the way that they they handled Mike White and or, like broke like broke him, literally broke him. Matt Milano coming off of delayed blitzes, not getting touched, and maybe that's something more on the the Jets' offensive line. But that Dolphins' offensive line's got to got to protect Tua, and if it doesn't, ooh. It was fascinating like to see it. that Bills defense stand up and be counted with yeah. Von Miller confirmed out for the rest of the season. Thought Gregory Rousseau was excellent. AJ Epinesa was excellent this weekend. They had seven players, seven separate players on the Bills defense generate at least three pressures this weekend. Like that is, those are silly numbers. And yeah. so, you know, I understand the Dolphins offensive line is getting healthier and going back in that direction, but. Yeah, I, I still have some faith in them. I know that the last two weeks has been a, a kind of tough run for them, but I still kind of I still believe in Mike McDowell. I still believe in Tour. I still believe in the offensive weapons. You know, I still think there is enough there, but you know, it's now time to stand up and prove themselves. Like like uh, like Clancy said. Yeah, I still believe Ollie. Uh, well, I just think that yeah, like you, you, said, you said it perfectly. You got four games now, and you know if you go three and one in those games, then all bets are off getting into the playoffs because nobody's going to want to meet the Dolphins in the playoffs. But you know, to not make the playoffs from the position they were in would be catastrophic. 
Right, let's uh, let's turn our attention to the last game that we've got down on our slate to discuss. That is this Thursday night, the NFC West battle between the Niners and the Seahawks. Uh, after the Seahawks lost to the Panthers this weekend, the Niners dealt with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The 49ers can now win the NFC West with a victory up in Seattle this weekend. And OK, I was having my fun with... Brock Purdy prior to this and his performances over the kind of game and three quarters that he's come in and quarterbacked. But to have your first road game be against a divisional rival who for the most part in the last decade plus have had your number in the loudest stadium in the NFL is going to be a bit of a baptism of fire for him. The reasons that I am positive right now is firstly just Brock Purdy's maturity and poise and all those things we've talked about positively previously have really impressed me. And so I kind of, I hope that the occasion won't prove too big for him and what he's done so far has shown that he has that in his locker. It's just, you know, might, it might be that kind of step too far early doors, but Seattle can be run on. Like they have, Mm. they played against a Bucks team in Munich who were averaging 60 yards per game on the ground, which was, I think, 25 yards behind the team who are sat in 30th in the league. It's absolutely dreadful. And they ran for nearly 180 yards on them. And they're not the only team who've run on the Seahawks this season. Kind of game after game, we saw a combination of both the run and the pass this weekend. But Carolina knew when they needed to uh, lean on the run game, they could. The Raiders ran all over them. The Rams, even in that loss, managed to run all over them. And they've been a terrible running team this season as well. And I can absolutely imagine kind of Jordan Mason, Christian McCaffrey just getting the ball time and time and time again and them just trying to run it down Seattle's throat and kill this game that way. If you look at the at the Seahawks wins this year, they're they're not really anything special. I know they're a seven and six team, but they beat the Broncos week one. Broncos we know are dreadful. They beat they beat the Lions in week four. And that was a, just that crazy forty eight to forty five game when it was just slinging it back and forth. They've beaten the Cardinals. We know how we feel about Cliff Kingsbury. They've beaten the Chargers mid-season when the Chargers, I think um, Justin Herbert was was dealing with with injuries. They beat the Giants, so the Giants off the back of their long winning run. That's not a great victory. They beat the Cardinals again. Um, and they've beaten the Rams, the Rams who just had Wolford in. So they're not beating good teams and they're losing to worse teams. So I think I can I can only really see a 49ers victory here because they the better team with the worst quarterback out of the two, but just all around like offensively, defensively, the defense is ridiculous and special teams as well. I'm, I worry for the Seahawks here despite having the loudest stadium in the NFL bore off. I think it's a fascinating game, actually. Uh, and I think there'll be a reaction from Seattle. Um, it's 49ers week up there. It's a massive game. Uh, everybody knows it's a massive game. The crowd will be right on it. Uh, short week, everything on the line. I think, you know, you won't see, I don't think you'll see the same Geno Smith that struggled against the Panthers. Um, I would hope that Seattle will be able to move the ball a bit better on the ground. Uh, it's just uh, you know a real sort of Thursday night clash of the Titans. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a really good game. My one concern about Brock Purdy is that you, you, you tend to get young guys who you know will start really really well, and then there will be a you know there will be a game that he struggles in on the road in Seattle, loud. You know, l- loudest stadium in the league, pretty much, along with Kansas City. It, it's going to be an experience that. You know, he won't have yet 
big games at Iowa State, certainly, and big noise on the road and that sort of thing. But this is, you know, two wins at home. This is going to be a different experience. And I think it will be a very tight, very close, very interesting game. And I think, I, I realistically think whoever runs the ball better will end up winning the game. I think it will be some big plays in the passing game. But um, yeah, I'm excited about it. And we've got to remember as well, you know, as much as they have given up, it's over 200 yards on the ground per game the last four games. Uh, Seattle, uh, after it was 233 against the Panthers, I didn't even realise it was that high. That's mad. But they do have those two very good rookie corners who have been excellent this year, Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, they... Ryan Neal went out of the game quite early this past weekend. I think that hurt them quite badly, but he's expected to be back for Thursday. And the 49ers came out of their game this weekend, not just with the Debo Samuel injury, which thankfully it's, you know, they're talking about it being an ankle sprain and an MCL sprain, but expect him back during the uh, regular season, not even waiting until the playoffs. But they lost three or four more players on top of that out to injury during that game. And, just everything you said, short week, traveling up the coast, divisional game. Like those are the games where something weird can happen anyway, without the fact that I already think it's a bit of a 50, 50 game without something weird happening. So I don't have hugely high expectations, but off the back of kind of six in a row and putting themselves in a position to win the division when they had a losing record back in October, I, I can't really complain about where they are right now. Uh, I, I, fascinated for it we've we, i'm gonna be doing it live on the radio which means i can't drink at the work christmas party but that's probably for the best because i could have got into a if i if i drunk at the work christmas party gone home and watched this game at 1 15 in the morning uh i would i'd just say if i would have woken up to, to check my own twitter the following morning because it could have got dark <laughs> on there uh, <laughs> I, I tell you what boys i love this rivalry i think it's one of the best in the nfl um they the teams there's proper animosity uh, there's a real rivalry between the cities. I know there's a, the state of Port, uh, the state of Oregon in between Washington and, and California, but there's a big rivalry between the states as well. It's a great rivalry, and um, it, you're right. It, it will be rocking up there, and also it's one of those games where form does kind of go out of the window when you've got you've got those two teams going at, at each other because they just really want to beat each other. It's a, it's a great game to have in prime time on a Thursday night. Love it. And for the most part, the Seattle have absolutely had uh, San Francisco's number, particularly over the Russell Wilson years. But I was lucky enough to be there uh, in 2019, where on the final week of the season, the 49ers uh, sealed the the division with that half yard line tackle uh, against the Seahawks where actually they fumbled the ball and, and turned it over as well. Dre Greenlaw as a rookie making kind of the first real significant play of a career, which turned out to be very good over the next three or four years beyond that. Um, and that was one of the great moments of going to watch sport of my lifetime and the, everything about that night, the atmosphere, the game itself. And so I think it's gonna be a cracker. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, boys, any final thoughts before we wrap this this one up? Uh, I just want to just pay tribute to Mike Leach. He died today, the uh, the great uh, college football head coach, a completely unique individual, a complete one-off. Uh, fantastic guy. Uh, go back and look what he did at Texas Tech and nothing more famous than when he, you know, when he beat the, the, the number one ranked Texas Longhorns with that touchdown at the end to... To Michael Crabtree, um, you know, did a fantastic job up at Washington with Gardner Minshew and then was making waves in the SEC with Mississippi State as well. So 61 years old, one of a man who changed football, completely changed football. 
Um, and I think, uh, you know, just very sad that, that Mike Leach has passed. Well said, mate. Well said. Difficult to come to you for final thoughts after that one, Ollie, but uh, uh, maybe I'll leave it for this week. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Let's, uh, let's give that a swerve. Beautiful stuff. Well, thank you so much for listening and watching. As always, get in touch with us at Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron as well. We've done this recording a little bit different to usual. I know we normally go live on this Tuesday. So if like you want to fire in questions or anything, don't be afraid to do it over the weekend. Any other time, we normally answer on Twitter anyway, but we will do so on the show. <laughs>